and welcome to the AdLib podcast where we interview industry professionals and get an insight into the theatre world. I'm Jessie. And I'm Henry. This week's episode, we talk to Joe Willis, who is a, a young playwright and a screenwriter um, about his career so far. Yeah, it's all about uh, life as an emerging writer and the challenges that can come with that um, and trying to find your voice in a massive industry. So, how's, how's lockdown three? We're about a week into lockdown three. How, how's that going for you, Henry? I think this has been the longest week of ever just ever have you Work's seen been long. have you seen that meme which is uh it's from friends and joey is sat in a chair and he's like oh it's been the worst year ever and phoebe's <laughs> like it's the first week of january <laughs> that's how i feel that's exactly how i feel <laughs> it's yeah but we're getting through we're staying positive um we've just been working on applications for things haven't we it's all very exciting um hopefully coming your way soon um but yeah How's how's lockdown three been going for you so far? Are you planning on getting dressed during this one? Um, do you know what? No. <laughs> no. Like I'm I'm pretending I don't exist and if I didn't exist I wouldn't be getting dressed, so Wow. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you're holding on to the positivity of all this. Uh, yeah. Uh, wake me up <laughs> uh in, in twenty twenty two. Um Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Yeah, but we we're much chirpier, I think, in this episode. Um, because we recorded it in November, December? It should have been October. Could have been. Simpler times, anyway. Um, so I think as this series goes on, our intros will get more and more like, (laughs) (laughs) and the episodes will be a greater contrast. But do keep listening, because we enjoy making them and talking to some really interesting people, such as Joe. So we'll pass you over to that interview now, and I hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoy. So now we're joined by Joe Willis, who is a writer. Um, welcome to AdLib, Joe. Hello. Thanks for having us on and giving us the opportunity to chat with you both. That's right. It's lovely to have a, an excuse to catch up as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to give us a background about yourself and sort of tell us what you get up to? Yeah, of course. Um, so I have a bit of a theatre background is where I started off. Um and I helped uh, with my pal, um, Sam Asame. Um, we started a theatre company called Dance Macabre, um, which did mainly horror stuff. Um, and we did that for a couple of years coming out of university while sort of doing bar work and the standard kind of day jobs. Um, and then from there, sort of in the past two years, I've kind of moved away from that. Sam's still keeping it going and doing some brilliant work with it. Um, but I started to move more into the film and TV area um, after I got a sort of a spec script, a short film spec script to get some attention from the BFI. And so I started moving down that avenue. Um, and that's where I'm currently at at the minute. Um, I'm sort of working on a number of different projects, um, all in different stages of development. And yeah, that's how that's where I currently am. Um, still, still looking for day jobs. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, money, money at the minute. But like, apart from that, yeah, it's, it's all going well. Great. So, um, can you tell us like your path? So, have you always known that you wanted to write? Um, how how did you get from A to B? Yeah, of course. Um, so, I kind of have to blame my parents and my uncle for this one. Uh, <laughs> So, like, from a very early age, I was obsessed with 
um, film, TV, theatre, writing. Um, because my uncle used to bring sort of like VHSs, which were like 18 rated, um, to the house. And my mum would like be like, oh, you can watch bits of it, but you're going to have to not watch the, the proper adult bits. And so then my uncle, my mum and my dad would tell me what kind of actually went on but that I wasn't allowed to watch. And they'd sort of frame it in an interesting way. Um, so that kind of like first sparked off my love of that. And so from like when I was 12, my, I remember my dad getting me like a notebook. Um, and I just used to write down sort of little film ideas and they were awful and terrible. And they were usually me attempting to do rom-coms and horror and all that matter of things. Um, but from there, like I just started like, cause I just wanted to sort of get stuff out there to try it um, when I was at school. I like put on a play because I didn't really know, like I'd been to the Panto and watched the Chuckle Brothers and stuff like that, but I didn't know like how you did theatre. So I just assumed that it was just, you find a space, you put some actors in a room and they read the lines. Um, and I kind of then sort of, it sounds awful, but that's what I've kind of run with for a while after that, like going through uni and getting involved with the drama society. And then when we started at the company, that was kind of a lot of our ethos of like, let's just put it on and see what comes out of it. Cause it was kind of the best way to learn. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the path of just sort of a lot of putting stuff on in places and just trying things out. And most of the time failing or, or doing some, we did some awful stuff, um, too long for probably this podcast. Um, but, and yeah, from there kind of that developed sort of, I think my writing ability, um, especially through that failing. And then like I sort of in 2018, I'd say, um, sort of had a, a bit of a turning point where I wrote a script off the back of um, an Edinburgh Fringe show that we did, which went sort of well. Um, it got like sort of really bad reviews and I did a bit of soul searching and was like, let's just like work out how to move on from this and take the criticism because uh, there was a lot of criticism and see where I could go from this. And so I kind of just changed my whole writing style as a reaction to that, still with the idea of let's just put this out there and sort of see what comes of it. And that's when sort of um, Alice Ramsey, who worked at the BFI, who's incredible and now works at the BBC, um, she sp spotted it and like, it was only, a, it was a very half formed script. Um, involving a man turning into a pineapple slowly, um, kind of a body horror thing. And <laughs> that that was kind of, from there, she helped me work on that. And I sort of then found my style that I'm currently in at the minute, which is kind of people are interested in, I hope. <laughs> and that's kind of where I'm going at the minute. I've just sort of been going from project to project, learning more, um, especially from the mistakes that I make from each project and um, doing different things as a result. Um, so that's kind of been the path. That's a very abridged, quick version. I don't know whether that was a quick or abridged, but... <laughs> well, it was clearly quicker than, than you living it out. <laughs> um, so let's kind of jump back a bit. And so you started Dance Macabre um, with Sam. What was it like starting a company straight out of university what were, were there sort of challenges highlights and any sort of unexpected things that you were like 
oh, I never considered that we'd have to worry or be concerned about this? Yeah, um, it was it, it was fun. So I was obviously, I was with them for four years in total. Um, and they're obviously still going now and doing brilliant work. Um, the first thing initially was like, we, Unexpected Challenges was like straight up our first show um, that we put on um, was going really well. It was a double bill of like two pieces of new writing and within like the second half when it was um, a piece about writer's block and a writer who kept hallucinating seeing things. Uh, very original, of course. Uh, <laughs> and um, the, the actress in it banged their head going off stage when they were supposed to like disappear. And that actually meant that we had to call an ambulance, the show was canceled, like, um, but everyone thought it was part of the show because like <laughs> up until that point it was like, will they finish, will the writer finish? So everyone kept on like going up to us um, afterwards and going, oh my God, that was like, you messed with my head. Like that was amazing. And we were like, no, we literally like everything went wrong. Like we were, we were in, in like bits afterwards. Um, which is quite funny because then like we actually redid that show. We tried to do that script again, two years later and the same thing happened. Um, which was insane and we've never actually finished that script fully we've, we'd like to joke that we've got a haunted script because the same thing just happened again but that time it was on a bigger stage it was on uh, <laughs> and there was a lot of like people in the biz watching so it's kind of like that's something we never thought we'd have to deal with as a challenge um yeah, so I always tell people, make sure you get your risk assessment done. <laughs> like, make sure you've got an ambulance on standby if... if like, um, yes, um, like... How tall was this woman? She was, she was, she's a very small woman, actually. She's only five foot four. Um, I probably got this wrong and she'll text me afterwards and be like, I was, I'm five foot six, actually. Um, but yeah, she, she, it wasn't like, we still don't know how she did it. She can't remember because she got concussed. Um, the second time it happened, when it was on the bigger stage, that, that was like, again, it was just a case of like, the door was just weirdly angled and like, it was because they were having to do like, walk off in a blackout. Um, so that's another thing. If you can avoid walking off in a blackout, probably do it. <laughs> like, that's been the thing that's actually caught us up the most because like other shows that we've done where, and especially in horror, there's quite a bit of the use of like, you put, you have a blackout so you can do some trickery. And like another time, another show that we did, someone walked into the set and took it out. Um, and so the set <laughs> fell down, but because we, it was like 20 minutes into the show, we couldn't then like, and there was no interval, we couldn't do anything. So the set was just half finished throughout. So, yeah, potentially. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about horror? Of course. Um, horror for me has always been a brilliant avenue that I don't think gets utilized as much of like that genre idea of like, you can talk about big issues and interesting sort of topics, interesting characters, um, but you can do it under the lens which potentially might get you to a wider audience than I think than if you do a straight up drama. 
Um, and again, sort of that ethos that we were talking, like we thought about of just putting stuff on to see where it goes. It allows you, there's a lot of scope from which you to do that. And there's a lot of different types of horror that you can do. Um, it doesn't just have to be blood and guts. It can be psychological. It can be comedy. Horror comedy is great. And I think, again, I think it's a really good sort of ground where you kind of are untethered from like obviously you need a lot of logic as well but you can be untethered from things that a normal drama would do and it allows you again to use that sort of fantastical as a metaphor to approach stuff without necessarily sometimes kind of um putting the audience at a distance they're kind of more engaged um so yeah that's what i've always liked about horror and that's what we tried to go and like again sort of moving forward i've always seen that i think like big inspirations for me were like Rod Serling who did The Twilight Zone and Jordan Peele more recently and I love how he's now doing the new Twilight Zone as well so it's like a full circle for me um, and I love that I think like another really good one was like uh, I saw John by Annie Baker and the way that they use the idea of ghosts in that even though it wasn't like you wouldn't properly call it a proper horror but it worked so brilliantly um, I won't spoil it for people who haven't haven't seen or read it because it's got some brilliant little twists and turns as well. Um, so, kind of one of the big steps for um, you and Sam uh, in the I suppose earlier days of Dance Macabre was um, getting the Les Enfants Terribles uh, nomination award nomination. Um, I re well, obviously, I was involved with that cast, which was a lot of fun. Getting a mega bus at four half four in the morning during a blizzard. <laughs> Um, but I remember you said, you well, you had a fun story about how you did the nomination for that, how you sort of applied for that. Would you want to share that with us? Um, yeah. So again, this is another like challenge slash highlight slash thing that I learned, which was at uh, that time, like I moved back in with my parents and things weren't going that well. I'd been unemployed for quite a bit of time and um the electrics had gone in my bedroom my childhood bedroom <laughs> so it was all kind of a bit like crap is the word <laughs> um and yeah like the, i saw the nomination style and so i had this script that we'd already done once and we'd really enjoyed it um because it was a horror um horror play by torchlight with sort of four separate stories and an intertwining story around it um and I just was like, I want to enter this, but we've not got the budget, we've not got the money or the, the resources to do something um, expensive as a, like a nomination video. So what we did, <laughs> or what I did, because plus Sammy didn't know I was <laughs> entering um, at the time, was I got in a cupboard and pretended like this monster was trying to get me midway during the, the uh, nomination. So it was like very much Blair Witch Project of like I had just a terrible like Nokia camera and a torch <laughs> and just started like pr like rattling the doors with my feet um and it worked like the like that's it got us the nomination and then we got to perform at the showcase down at the Pleasance in front of an incredible company um and it kind of really put into perspective with me of like sometimes because like I think it's something that always gets thrown especially theatre and film as well as like there's the money element 
and there's this idea of what a theatre should be. It should be a grand place or um, this is how you should do things. And again, with that ethos that we've always sort of thought of, of like, just put it on to get that feedback. I think money, we've always, money is that thing that is such a massive barrier to everything that sometimes you can get disheartened by it because, and you there's there are creative ways which i know i'm saying from a place of privilege um and i don't want to understate that um but i think there's ways creatively you can kind of get around to show your voice without having to use those resources and go the set ways that people have, have put forward um because i think hopefully your like people's personalities and the style will shine out no matter how sort of like big budget um, that obviously is my personal feeling on it. I know that like the the, the way that both industries work, there there is a sense of like, especially with like show reels and actors that if you if you don't get a professional show reel, you won't get any jobs, and that is a horrible barrier that's put in place. Um, and I wish those sort of barriers, especially the financial barriers, were reduced in that way. Um, I think unfortunately with COVID nineteen, they've been they've, actually more barriers have been put in place. Um, especially this government um but yeah i think it was a real highlight for us of knowing that like without all the resources and money and everything they still were interested in the story we were wanting to tell and how we were going to tell it am i right in thinking that uh dance macabre were also involved in the london horror playwriting competition yeah um so uh, we for the last sort of like yeah like the last couple of times dance macabre's um run the, the london horror playwriting competition taking over some for some really good companies um and that came about because i did some volunteering at the london horror festival and was couch surfing um for a good month and the wonderful katie danbury who everyone should employ and get her to do all your theater work because she's incredible um she took a punt on us of like do you want to come and help me produce the next year and produce the festival and um, which i'm still doing to this day unfortunately we've not been able to do the festival this year because of covid um and dance macabre came on to do the playwriting competition um because a couple of times like the then we wanted to make sure and continue what was going on beforehand because the other companies couldn't do it of having an actual end goal that people, the person who wins gets to see their work performed on stage. And we just, it was like a natural thing of like, well, we're here, we've got a director, we've got a producer, we can we can facilitate that. And we've got the space of the venue. Um, and it's, yeah, like I, I feel we've sort of wanted as well to kind of, again, sort of open up the worlds of horror and what people see horror as, hopefully. Um, especially for myself as a pansexual artist, I really was pushing the, um, the fact last year it was the LGBTQIA plus focused. Um, and that was brilliant seeing some of the writers that came in. Um, it's also strange because a lot of people, like there was a lot of people who um, tried to fake it, which was strange. A lot of older men who didn't like, put on their their applications like that they were straight and then had like had just 
entirely straight characters, but still entered it. And we were just like, sorry, what? <laughs> like, I think you've missed it. Um, there was a, a weird, weird number, like a sizable number. Um, but like, yeah, and that was fantastic to see. Um, and again, sort of like Dance Macabre is working with with those artists moving forward. Um, and it also like, just seeing the, the breadth of work out there and the brilliant voices that are out there and what they're doing, again, it just kind of makes you feel a little bit less shitty about the world. And you just hope that they can get the 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 space and the voices that they this the, the space and the um, outreach that they deserve. And the year before, you um, the rule was that it had to be past the best show test. Yeah, yeah. Again, we wanted to sort of counteract because the horror world is still very much like it's getting better. It's getting a lot better, and there's some brilliant examples. Um, of people writing and directing and producing and I think it is but I think there's a long way still to go and especially there's still a good amount like in any of the industries creative industries of straight white men making the decisions and deciding what stories get to be told and telling the stories um, and especially with horror like horror has done some bad things to women um, in like over the years and again we just wanted to bring that focus back on of like hopefully sort of alter the view of like well women can write just as terrifying horrifying things as well as like the characters within that like and yeah nancy who won her script was incredible and like there was so many again so many voices and so many people who like could have deserved a win um and i really hope that they're all still like pushing forward out there and um, nancy's was just fantastic and got under your skin and beautiful and i can't wait to see what they do next Cool. So moving on from sort of Dance Macabre, what was it like stepping out as a writer in your own right, being standing up and being like, right, I'm officially a writer now. I'm going to do stuff. What was that like? Um, I don't think I've, I, 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 I still struggle with saying it. I'm going to be honest. Like I still struggle with telling people that like I'm a I'm a capital W writer, um, which is both a mixture of imposter syndrome. Um, but also I suppose like, when you when you don't get something produced you can sort of that validation doesn't play in your head um but talking to different creatives in the industry and outside the industry i think like i'm starting to learn that more that you you can like you're writing and you're creating and even if you haven't had stuff produced you're still a writer um and I think that's a really powerful thing for people to know, even if it's just like they're just doing it for a hobby or they're doing bits when they can, when they get in from like a long shift on a bar or a long shift stacking shelves, that you are a writer and that's what you are first and foremost, so long as you believe it. Um, and yeah, like it was, it was strange initially because like me and Sam have discussed this of like, it felt like you were losing a limb <laughs> a little bit um obviously i don't want to like um i would never apologize to anyone i've never lost a limb and i don't want to be insensitive um it felt like 
just this kind of who do I talk to now about stuff and for the first couple of weeks we both said that we were kind of at a bit of a loss of like how how do we work going forward like usually you've got that second voice to sort of bounce off and collaborate and then we both kind of got our heads out of our asses <laughs> and went oh we can still do that <laughs> we're just not working on a project together like we can still like be friends like we always have been <laughs> like um and yeah that's kind of what we've sort of moved forward with that and it's been great sort of talking to him about his stuff seeing where he's taking the company and it's been great sort of again that vice versa of we can actually sort of chill there's less stress underneath it of like um having to worry about like how we're gonna afford to do the next production as such um yeah i think like the other thing i've found stepping out is as such stepping out as a writer is that it again can be can be quite hard to initially going back to that sort of validation thing initially especially when you've got a lot of you're trying to get a lot of things off the ground um again you can feel like a lot of the time you're getting nowhere and that like you're just like pushing a cart that no one wants and sometimes projects fall through sometimes the project isn't good like and again it's all about learning from that and in just like the past two years where i've moved into tv and film and been on been on my own i've learned so much from what doesn't work, what works. Um, and also again, sort of validating myself as I go on of like, no, you need to sort of take the pressure off yourself of going like, oh, no one, like I've spent six months, no one's been interested, therefore I'm terrible. And it's like, no, 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 like that, that project could be terrible. And if that's the case, you need to sit up, listen to the criticism and move forward and progress. Um, but at the same time, just kind of make sure that you um, take the pressure off and you go, hey, actually, I am still a writer. I'm still doing this. Like, it's so long as I'm still moving forward and still going at it, that's still progress and that still val should validate you. Just the act of you getting up and writing, even if it's just for yourself, should be used as a validation tool. And I think that's been a really good thing to learn, if that made any sense, I realise. So you've already mentioned about your, um, oh, what was it called? Like a treatment for a short film being um, seen yeah. by someone at the BFI. Can you tell us about how you transitioned from writing for stage to writing for screen? It, it was initially both easy and hard at the same time. Like some aspects were really easy, like, just due to the nature of how much media we now take in, I'm probably gonna sound like a, such a wanker when I say this, but like you you have that visual language in your head already and you don't realize it. Um, and so you can kind of take pull off stuff of how to kind of like almost like structure a, a film scene. At the same time, that can also be super hard because you can try and, and one of the bad things you shouldn't do is try and sort of like write as if you were directing it because it's obviously someone else's vision then gets and intertwines with yours and so you don't want to be like going this is how it should look um as such so that was both kind of like easy and hard at the same time what was really helpful about sort of starting off in kind of theater and doing that again with this idea of sort of like putting just putting stuff on 
and sort of seeing what came of it, like even if it was just in a backyard for 20p, like was the ability to hear how words come out of actors' mouths. Um, because it's strange, you, you, the first thing that anyone kind of knows and starts to work on is dialogue. Um, and it's a very easy thing to learn as such, but it's also a very hard thing to do well, because I think, and personally for myself, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for anybody else, but personally for myself, there's a difference between what you think people speak like and what people speak like. And I think that that initially, you like, especially with stage, you you can write more dialogue and it's very much like dialogue heavy. Um, or in my in my personal opinion, like, and with that, that can mean you can write a lot of dialogue, but it'll actually, when you get it out and the actors say it, it's it just scrambled eggs in their mouth. And by doing, like, putting it on in the theatre, you get to hear actually this and talking to the actors, you actually see how dialogue, like, how re real people talk. They interrupt each other, they never finish sentences, they lose trains of thought. They sometimes like just mess up halfway through and start again, and like I did at the start of this question, <laughs> and it it works really well then that when you go into film as such and like you you've got to every kind of line has to hit, and it doesn't theatre to a sense, but like you you very much sort of using visual storytelling, so dialogue is is still extremely important, but can be reduced sometimes in how much it's putting across you i think going from that theater to film background means that you hopefully or it did for me have a sense of how people actually talk rather than how you think they talk um so that was really helpful um the harder thing again was like whilst that was really good to learn and know that from going from that part the other hard thing though was like learning how to write sort of uh, action is something that kind of took me a while to get to grips with because I was obviously thinking of like free limitations as you do in theatre and obviously theatre does also have a lot of limitations but you can sort of like play with stuff and you can make a, a fantasy world out of a blanket um, whereas film sometimes just due to budgetary reasons <laughs> you, uh, you, you you can't like make do that um, which maybe is like oversimplifying it. I think there's some nuance to that, like that idea. Like I think there's with both, there's limitations and sort of the world to kind of do crazy stuff you couldn't do in either medium. Um, but yeah, I think just getting to know how you're actually supposed to format the, the action, that was a hard thing to learn initially um, going from stage to film. But that again is just about failing, to be honest, um, and making sure that like, even if it is just your mum reading your scripts, which it was for a while with me, like um, it, 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 it's very helpful to get people's reactions and just get it read by someone, even if they think it's rubbish. And the great thing about my mum is that she'll tell us, tell it like it is. There's no sugarcoating. So if you can ask your parents, if you, you do have to resort to that, make sure your parents don't sugarcoat it. Don't do it. I love you. It's great. And it's like, thank you. I know you love me, but like... <laughs> Just tear into me, mum. Like, bottle up how crappy I was as a teenager and attack my script. Like, <laughs> So when you've got an idea for a piece, where's the starting point for you? What's the process about 
putting that onto, I was going to say paper, but, or typing it up? Um, I have a really weird process, I think. It might not be, uh, like, it, I think like people might turn around and go, that's, that's what I do, um, which would be nice, it'd be validating for me. <laughs> um, but for me, I, um, I sort of like will sort of largely come up with ideas when I'm running, because um, like my brain is very anxious um, <laughs> a lot of the time, and there's a lot of noise, um, which I find it hard to think when I'm just sort of sat in silence at a at a laptop. So like when I'm writing, I always have to have music on, which I know a lot of people can't stand. Like I've got to have words going on like at the minute I'm, I'm writing uh, a sitcom and all I'm listening to is Run the Jewels because like the speed of the words just helps me um, and yeah like for me I then I, I sort of like a lot of the time I'll think of stuff when I'm running because I go running a lot to help my mental health and I'll that's where the stuff will come because it's the, the only time I feel real silence like um and so I'll think up the idea then and sort of then I'll like my housemates always worry a bit because they know if I'm like really thinking about an idea, I'll be gone for like two hours and they're like, oh God, is he dead? Oh no, he's just trying to work out act two. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then I'll come back and sort of type it up but and sort of work on it. Um, usually with a lot of music blasting through my headphones. Um, the other thing that I do, which has changed a lot recently, is before, like previously, um, actually there's a couple, there's two things, um, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll not go on too long about them because I could go in for ages about my writing process. Um, the, the two things that I've started doing differently recently, which has really helped, um, one is like over the last two years, I've become extremely cutthroat with my own work. Um, I tried never to be precious beforehand, but there's always an element of when you say that, you still are quite precious of your work. Um, and I've become more recently just, if a line, no matter how much I like that line, if it doesn't serve anything, if it's just there to be funny or it's just there to sound nice, it goes. Um, because I think as well, especially going back to talking about dialogue, that's a thing that like I you've got wrong so many times of trying to write lines instead of trying to write what people say. Um, and sometimes actually people, especially in comedy, I think people can be funnier when they're not making a line out of it, when it's just people saying down to earth stuff. Um, and then the second thing that I've tried to do moving forward is I've actually started being more structured with how I sort of plan like an episode or a, or a, or a feature film idea or something like that. Um, it's not like I try to avoid sort of when I've spoken to people and also I, I don't think structure should be like a set of rules or a set of guidelines. I think that can be a really bad way to think about it and it's what I used to think about it which is why I kind of avoided it what was taught to me by a wonderful sort of like um dramaturg script editor called Henry Siddle who um you definitely should follow on Twitter for um his memes and little notes um was using structure and sort of as a diagnostic tool um and so 
using it as a sense of why isn't that part working? So kind of initially going like, let's just sort of like free flow the idea and see where it goes and everything. And then going back through and trying to put it into like three acts or five acts and structure it because you can actually, and using it as a diagnostic tool to go, why isn't that bit like as exciting? That seems quite dull, even though that's where the story kind of creatively I initially thought went and so I started doing that more and that's really helped because even though like people don't necessarily see it um, I think writers and creatives will see it when they're looking into it but I think sometimes you can miss like how something's been structured but you'll actually realize when it's done badly I think especially in TV theatre like you can tell when something lags and it's because the structure's not tight enough and I think at that point when you're sort of in the early stages using structural ideas as a diagnostic tool to kind of pinpoint where that's kind of lagging is really good um yeah i think that that's currently where i'm at with the process as such um also i like drink so many cups of tea um which is <laughs> like both bad and good <laughs> like so yeah, I think that hopefully that made all a lot of sense and I wasn't just rambling. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really brilliant. Thank you. Um, so have there been schemes that you've been part of that have sort of shaped how you write? Yeah, completely. Um, so this year, luckily, really luckily, I got to be part of the BBC Northern Voices scheme. Um, which sort of highlights um, Northern writers who are up and coming and emerging um, and put them on a year long scheme where you do sort of like a crash course in every different genre that you could do in TV and film. And um, it's brilliant because it's very like well done in how like when it says emerging, it's not just like the standard, oh, we cut it off at 30 as well. It's like a, a very diverse range of voices, ages, backgrounds, and it works really well in having all those voices in the room and everyone's brilliant and it, it is fantastic. It's run again by sort of the wonderful Alice Ramsey, who's fantastic. Um, and we all had to like submit an application and it was sort of very tough and you had to pitch an idea, which was terrifying. <laughs> But luckily mine worked and um, sort of it gets read anonymously and judged anonymously. So it got through, um, which is brilliant. And it's been fantastic this year, just meeting brilliant writers in the North who deserve to get so much employment. Um, like I could do a whole hour on just the people who could be like, have shout outs just because how amazing they are. Um, but you should just go on the BBC, if, you, if you're listening, go on the BBC Writers' Room website, find the Northern Voices group and just follow everyone on that because, well, apart from me, because I'm, I'm not great, but everyone else, follow all them because they're brilliant. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fantastic scheme because of you get to see the range of different uh, genres, how things work, learning that structure stuff, which can be sometimes hard, learning how kind of... Um, how to pitch things as well because I think it's a really hard thing to know as a writer how to be that kind of sales part. For me I find it really sickly and kind of I want to separate myself from it because 
I hate selling myself and I hate selling the things that I've written. Um, and what, what they've been brilliant in teaching us all is like the idea of like, you kind of have to, there has to be a, a second version of you, like anything that does that sale and sells the idea. Um, and as well, like you should just like, if, you, if you're not selling the idea, it like puts across that you don't have pride in your work and pride in your voice. And you should always have that. Um, if you care about it, if you care about yourself, um, I don't want that to sound so horrible. I realise that's something a bit horrible. Like I was like, you don't care about yourself if you don't have pride, or but more that you should sort of start to build that into your thinking and move your thinking to that way, um, which is amazing. Um, it's it's been a brilliant leg up for me and a lot of the writers as well. I think it's it's tough because like the, the schemes like that are fantastic. And of course, there's got to be some sort of sense of like um, whittling down people. Um, and what that scheme did really well is like it obviously was very fair and like, everything was judged anonymously and you had to pitch an idea as well and put portfolios of stuff as well. And that was very fair. But like, I do think there can be a, a big thing in the industry in both industries of using schemes as the only way to get people to those sort of like higher levels as such uh, and get people to actually be able to do it as a day job um and i think that's problematic i think that's just problem systemic problems with the structures as a whole and i mean is there a way to get around that i don't know i don't think i'd be the best to talk about it um like i think there, there needs to be that conversation um, about schemes and like how they're done well, like this one was done, and also kind of how how good they are in making sure that people get to that point and so making sure that they're accessible because there are a lot where it's just like they're not, they're just not, and they try and say they are, and they are definitely not, and it's nepotism central um so yeah i think there's there's a yeah like it's interesting um there's a lot of work i think that still needs to be done and that's hopefully hopefully going to change moving forward um whether it is i don't know again i'm probably not the best to talk about that but um yeah cool so um have you got any particular highlights from working in these schemes any sort of interesting things you've got to accomplish um again just meeting the wonderful like the wonderful writers like even though it's been pretty weird with 2020 and covid that we only did one session in person i think it was one or two sessions in person and then the rest has been over zoom and whatsapp just the incredible support that all those writers have provided and everyone's so humble and and the work that they're producing is fantastic that's been such a highlight to see because you yeah like you always worry when you go into a room full of other creatives I oh maybe this is just me and again my anxious brain I'll, I'll be like there's always that one person who's talking about themselves too much and they're gonna be an arse or like they're just gonna unsettle things and and that's not been the case that it, like they every single one of them deserves the world and I hope they get it um I think yeah like other highlights as well, um, for me, it gave me a chance to work in children's TV, which um, I'd not previously like 
like I I'd, I'd really wanted to do it I've had like ideas and stuff like that and where I used to work we had a children's media conference and seeing that in the background like um when I was pouring pints was like oh I'd love to get involved in that but never sort of knowing how to get involved um and I got to do a couple of sketch commissions for a, a children's tv show and that was really fun because it just stretched a muscle that I never knew that I had um especially like you realize like when you when you when you're a writer I think and again I might be just speaking for myself but you can swear so much like <laughs> and realizing you can't do that and the stuff that you can't get away with is like tough initially because you're like oh I just want to put a fuck here like and that would just make it work but you you can't um but at the same time like what what like it really does as well as going back to sort of like that creativity aspect is it, you, there is so much creative scope as well to do things like especially like in the sketches that I was reading for the series and the ones that I wrote like I got to do some really weird shit that I'd never get a chance to do <laughs> potentially ever again um yeah like we're trying to think of one now off the top of my head but I'm drawing a bit of a blank of like I think there was like I had like a cow break in and um there was like um sitcom characters who knew they were sitcom characters freaking out because they realized that their existence was meaningless and stuff like that <laughs> like um yeah so that was another highlight and then i think another one as well was just like through it again that level of support that people have been sort of passing different resources to each other it's been very much sharing it and again it creates that group because like it's a hard world um that's a, an understatement um and especially sort of getting trying to get to that next level of like you feel like you're between two ladders if you climb one ladder and then there's another ladder which is like the professional working world where you make a living out of it and you you get to like produce stuff and it feels like there's a massive gap a lot of the time um between those two ladders and i think that having that group around again we all support each other and there's that ability to be like right like who like sharing contacts and going like where where we're all kind of like almost in it together which again to say that that's been fostered um is down to the wonderful people and involved in the group and also sort of like how the scheme is run um and yeah, that feeling that you're not alone, that we're all tr like trying to help each other get to get agents and production companies interested in our work. And yeah, it's I again, I think especially the, never underestimate the, your community and how brilliant they are. Um, and when it's tough, you should speak to them. Don't ever do what I do and feel like you can be a burden sometimes. Like. You got you got to kind of move away from that mentality and and use those support networks. Lovely. That's so nice. Did you tune into CBBC to see your name in the credits? It's it's not actually been produced yet. Um, I'm excited though. They're, they're like. Oh, is it not? Oh, sorry. No, no, don't worry. Um, it's it, it the COVID is sort of playing around with what's happening at the minute with productions. Um, I mean, I, I I'm hoping that it still goes through and it gets produced. Um, like we'll we'll see we'll see what happens um yeah like hopefully in the next year or so i'll get to see that um i will be tuning in 
um, which might look a bit weird to my housemates Good. when I'm like, Joe, why are you, why are you watching <laughs> children's TV? I'm like, shh. <laughs> you won't have to like make up an excuse. <laughs> yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit more about, I mean, this is a really shitty question, but how the pandemic has affected you and your work? Yeah, no, it's not, it's not a shitty question at all. It's, um, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's been a very weird year, which I know sounds again, understating it and what's going on. And I've luckily been in a very privileged position that like I've, I, I was living alone for a lot of the pandemic because uh, I've lived alone for like the last three years. And that was taking a massive toll on my mental health at the, the start. Um, but then I've, I've moved in with some wonderful housemates who've like been so supportive and listened to my pictures at 9 p.m. in the evening and they're like we just want to watch Bake Off can you please shut up <laughs> and um and yeah like I've I've I'm in a very privileged position of having that and luckily I managed to make a couple like I've been saving money for the last three years to sort of like through the different work like day jobs that I've been doing so that I've been able to kind of because I got made unemployed like early on in the pandemic so like that was kind of so I, I've been able to use those savings. Um, it's probably a lot of personal information, <laughs> um, but like that's kind of, I've been in that position that I've been able to go, right, I'm just gonna focus on my writing for the time being. Um, like, uh, and just that's allowed me because of that privilege to be able to do that. Um, so that's been sort of positive in a sense. I've had that a lot of that time to, to work on stuff that I've like put as a rainy day. Um, however, like again, talking to people in sort of my um, support networks and especially industries, I know that can also be quite a detrimental narrative to put forward about like using this time to work and just work at stuff because it's it's unprecedented and it's tough. And again, like it should be down to the individual of like if if you if you feel like the need to write and if that helps you get through. For me, that's really helps my mental health then do it if not don't give a fuck about what anyone else says just like do what you need to survive each day um so yeah that's that's kind of how it's sort of on a on a, a more broad terms how it's sort of affected me and my work as a result um it's been the other positives and negatives that have sort of come in a sense is like positives in is because people have been at home and people have had to start using Zoom and video conferencing stuff. There has been the ability to sort of meet people who I'd never have had the chance to meet before, um, which has been good. Um, but at the same time, if I could swap that for there not being a pandemic, of course I would. <laughs> like, um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's a strange sort of thing how to think it and sort of pair off those feelings in your in your head um and uh, yeah so that's kind of how it's all sort of affected it i think the the only other thing that I, I i've been sort of thinking about and talking to people about um is an idea that someone brought up of like obviously with theater and film and creative stuff and how people are processing it people writing covid based stuff and how to address it and it's interesting because there's so many differing opinions and again who am i to talk about it um but for me personally i've i've decided to avoid it 
Um, because I think, firstly, I think people will be sick of hearing about it. <laughs> like, and in times like this, you want stuff that not necessarily is joyful. Like, we need still need the stuff which brings up complex topics and complex issues and stuff. But I think like there's enough debate going around it already that like trying to fit it into somewhere might be a bit not done well and not have that perspective on it. Again, that's just me personally, like, and feel free to disagree with me. And I don't know if I've got that right or not. That's just how I've been sort of processing it and trying. And also as well, like for me, I think, especially when it comes down to writing, it kind of proves a bit hard to sort of like, if you if you put it in to your script, so like if uh, I've got a friend who's writing a rom-com at the minute and they were like, well, how are they gonna date? How are they gonna go on a date? Because it's set in 2020 and there's COVID and then like, if I don't put the social distancing stuff in, will, be it, will it be an alternate universe? And that kind of story logic starts playing and that makes it quite hard. And again, I said to them, maybe just avoid it. Like, like it doesn't have to be exactly set in 2020. If it's gonna limit your story in that way, there's not much point and you're not gonna say anything like interesting about it or bring up anything. If it's just, that's the story block, just take it out. And um, again, that, that works for that scenario. I think it's taking it very, again, you have to take everything case by case basis when it comes to how you engage with it. Again, it's up to you um, how you how you do. Um, I just, again, will always go to just be sensitive and do your research. Um, like always do your research. If, if you're tackling anything sensitive, like don't, don't just go in for it. Cause you like, don't like, I think, writing in any aspect is there to be enjoyed entertainment's there to be enjoyed in however and be bring up those issues and talk and inspire debate and everything like that but i think it should never hurt people and yeah if you don't do your research you're just going to do that by proxy unless you're like that is your experience um looking back so kind of we've talked through your kind of your career i suppose what advice would you give to your past self as um, if they were just about to start on this journey? Probably firstly, you'll be all right, <laughs> hopefully. Um, which is that, uh, like, like, just like when the times have been tough and not seen sort of like a way moving forward, just even the fact that like you're still moving and grooving and like n not even towards like writing stuff just personally just be like you you're still here you're still on this earth that's okay and that's that's good um i think writing wise again it would be try like as much as again like i said earlier like i've tried not to be too precious with how things have been over the years um Try not to take things to heart, especially when critics write stuff. Um, the, the famous story that gets told is the time I got a one-star review at the Edinburgh Fringe, and this was just before like we we like stuff started going okay for me, and this is what actually sort of set off, as I mentioned earlier, me sort of thinking more about taking that criticism on board. We got a one-star review. It was like five lines long. 
It was in a newspaper, a very famous newspaper in Scotland. Uh, but we had to, they didn't print it online because it was that angry. We had to like traipse through the archives for it. Um, <laughs> and it was like, oh, it was vicious. And like, instead of like going, okay, like there's some negative points in here. I can use this to work forward. I instead ran up Arthur's seat and then shaved my head um, and did a full Britney. I walked in on you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that um, as much as... As much as that might seem like a good idea, um, yeah, uh, like just don't take it to heart. Like you use the na use the criticism, and work on it, and use it to propel yourself forward. You can feel shitty. Like it's okay to feel shitty about it when it's like that, and especially when it's a bad review and it's like how it's written as well. Um, the, it's okay to feel that shitty, but just don't focus on it because um, as much as I, I would always try and not be precious I would always focus on the bad stuff and not focus on the good and I still do that to a, an element today but I think I've tried to reduce that um, um, and I think the only other thing I'd say is um, shout out your parents more <laughs> like in the, those people that s support you um, like I, I like that my parents have always been incredibly supportive I know not everyone has that um like they have been brilliant and my sister as well um and just sort of like I, I wish I'd shouted that out a bit more not that like I'd gone like oh the rubbish or anything like that but I wish like I'd I'd yeah thank them more um yeah I think that's everything that I can think of um, and also don't do a script twice if it's haunted. Don't, you don't want to be calling an ambulance again. Uh, <laughs> um, just touching on um, the not being so hard on yourself. Um, you wrote a really lovely piece that I was trying to remember uh, where I saw it about your inner voice. Oh, um, yeah. Where could people find that? I mean, I'm, I'm going to Google it when we get off this call and read it again. That is, so I'll, I'll, I'll say it and then I'll also use this space to kind of like throw back some shout outs. Because um, like Katie Danbury, Alice Ramsey, Amy O'Hara, all amazing um, people who get in touch with a few, especially in the north or in the south as well. Um, wonderful people who I couldn't have done anything without. There's probably more names, but um, a really amazing group that I've worked with recently, um, which is where that piece came from, is Sheffield Flourish. Um, and they run the Sheffield Mental Health Guide and they basically, what they do, which is incredible, and there's other organisations similar to it that's worth looking at. Obviously, that's very Sheffield specific, but they get people with lived experience of mental health to talk about their stories. Um, and it, I actually got put onto it by a friend of mine who's an incredible artist um, who works in theatre and dance, um, Jess Gibson, who I, I worked with on a show that she produced, which was amazing, um, called Work in Progress. Um, and Sheffield Flourish, what they do is like they use creativity for people with lived experience to tell their stories. Um, so their website is full of different pieces by a vast variety of people um, in different mediums and forms. And it 
it's just a more personal way of connecting with topics around mental health um, rather than it just being that kind of scientific data or sort of psychology stuff which is all valuable but I think especially I found like a lot of, for a long time I didn't really look at my mental health um, because I was like and I think that the narrative is changing definitely there's more media about it especially but like I didn't look at it because I was like oh I've seen this kind of like scientific points that that's not me when it actually was I just couldn't relate it because I was so stuck in my own brain going oh that's just normal what I do and not saying that what I what I do in my mental health is abnormal by any means because I hate the idea of normal and abnormal but like I just that was my day-to-day -day, so I didn't see it as a, a symbol of anything else um, and so getting to read those stories was a brilliant way of me connecting the dots and going to get help and the help that I needed and still processing that to this day and um, and that's what I'd sort of like from there I, I started writing a couple of pieces for them and volunteering with them and sort of um, it's only been a couple of months volunteering and I've written a couple of pieces and I'm sort of speaking with people to get their pieces told and it's just a really fantastic thing that they do they also run loads of wonderful groups if you're listening in Sheffield um, they do like football groups plant gardening groups all stuff that kind of again builds that support network that you can use so again you don't feel like you're in this alone um, especially with where we are now um, yeah so like if you go onto the Sheffield Flourish website there's some fantastic articles you should read probably leave mine to the last uh, <laughs> if you're gonna read them um, but yeah the one I wrote was kind of my internal voice um, as a game show where I can't get the answers right um, yeah <laughs> which is my kind of day-to-day -day head space that article is really worth a read I um, thought it was brilliant um, thank you so much for being so open and uh, warm um, and fruitful fruitful <laughs> I do have a pineapple tattoo so that kind of like <laughs> definitely fruity <laughs> that's where I got that from um, yeah it's been a real pleasure and uh, we wish you the best of luck and um, we encourage everyone to follow Joe on Twitter. Do you want people to follow you on Twitter? Uh, I mean, they can, they can do it. I'd say go first for look on the Northern Voices on BBC. Follow all those writers because they're amazing. Um, if you want to follow me, I, I don't really post anything, but like <laughs> you might, I, I, I retweet um, resources that I've found useful. Um, so yeah, um, you can follow me at falls over a lot um dyspraxia people for the win uh, <laughs> like, um yeah so yeah follow me on that or um yeah i think i've done i've not got any other social media so <laughs> well th joe thank you so much for chatting to us it's been lovely to have a catch-up as well um but yeah all the best for everything and um, i hope we will talk soon you too and thank you so much for having us you've been amazing as per oh, thank you Thank you so much, Joe, for battling the Wi-Fi demons and um, giving up some of your time. Yeah, it was really lovely to catch up and we're very excited to see um, your work appear on the small screen. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be there watching the credits and be like, it's Joe, it's Joe.
But if you enjoyed that episode, do go check out the rest of our catalogue. We've had some great episodes so far this season. Um, and there's plenty more because we have been running this podcast for two years. Two years. Oh. Oh. <laughs> if you are looking for more, then check out our socials. Twitter is The Adlib Podcast. Instagram is The Adlib Podcast. And our website is theadlibpodcast.co.uk. Perfect. And if you're feeling extra kind, you can give us a nice review um, on the podcast platform of your choice. Um, but we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.